from Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. With workplace mental health becoming a safety prerogative, this is the source of information on psychological injury prevention and health promotion. Hi, and welcome to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. My name is Jason Venshee, and I'm one of the hosts of the show. The aim of the podcast is to rapidly increase the knowledge and application of psychological health and safety in workplaces worldwide. To help with this, we have regular guests from around the world who are leading the way in this important area. But before I introduce our guest and topic for today, allow me to introduce my co-host, Joelle Mitchell. How did I, Joelle? Um, I'm okay. We're having some uh, glorious spring Perth weather. Yeah, it, it's it's different, isn't it? So well, It's about normal for Perth in spring. I think it just switches violently between winter and summer. Yeah, we had like this massive storm front or something come through, which is unusual in Perth. Yeah, we had um, severe weather warnings for basically the entire southern half of the state. Yeah, and then I'm driving to work in the morning and the sun's out. Yeah. Yeah, not a sky, not a cloud in the sky. It's ridiculous. There were well, you must have been driving later than me because there were some clouds in the sky when I started driving this morning, but they disappeared by the time I got here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, amazing. It's just Perth for you. Yeah, that's right. Could have put some washing on the line this morning. You could have. I could have. Uh definitely not last night. I wouldn't have been there this morning. No. Um so it's are you okay day. Oh, uh, is it? Today, Joel. Yeah. Right. So we didn't get the cupcake, so I can understand why you might not remember that it was AEK Day. Um, Brendan might organise some later. I don't know. I, th- I feel like if we told Brendan that, he-, he would take that as a good excuse to go and buy some donuts or something. Yeah, and get off keto for a day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, do they do Krispy Kreme do Are You Okay Day? I don't know. If they're not, they're missing a trick. Well... I feel like they probably do okay, regardless. But anyway, are you okay? I guess. Okay, good. Great. Are you? Okay, moving on. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm fantastic. Thanks. Good for you. <laughs> and that's how you do it, isn't it? Yeah. Sure. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Excellent. Um, what's the word? I can't think of it now. No. Okay. No. Sandra Lamb put out a cool post about how to ask, are you okay with the psychosocial uh, flavor? That yeah, I think I saw that. Yeah. And I might reshare it. I think it's mm. worthwhile sharing. Mm. Good work, Sandra. All right. Well, uh, we've got a guest who is on the other side of the world, so we should probably introduce her in because it's yep. getting late her time. Good call. Cool, cool. All right. So she started her career in law and then moved into the field of positive psychology. She is the author of Beating Burnout at Work, a guest lecturer for the Wharton School Executive Education Programs, and the founder and CEO of the Stress and Resilience Institute. Welcome to the podcast, Paula Davis. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here, even though I am on the other side of the world, as you mentioned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think, um, yeah, what brought you to my attention was LinkedIn obviously connects uh, everything. Um, and uh, I think I saw some of what you'd written um, around uh, resilience and burnout. So I thought, hey, that's perfect for our podcast. So yeah, really um, grateful that you're able to um, be on the podcast today and share some of your insights. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I look forward to our conversation. Um, sorry, that's uh, me missing my cue. Hey, cue. Um, I reckon. I reckon we'll keep it. In. We can keep that. That's fine. <laughs> this is yeah. So it's uh, nine o'clock in the morning. Joelle is caffeine has not hit her yet. So uh, I got um, I got woken up twice last night by a child having dreams and other things. So yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Well, I've, I've had some caffeine, but you know, there's only so much that caffeine can do. We get one slip up a, a an episode. So. Is that the rule? Is it? Well, 
it's a new rule. Oh, I get uh, – is it me? Just me? I'm the only one who gets one slip up? I get infinite. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Go, go Your turn. Mm. Go. All right. All right. <laughs> Paula, what podcast do you like to listen to? <laughs> so uh, I will tell you that I um, – my favorite podcasts, a lot of my podcasts, um, the ones that I listen to tend to be a little bit more light in their content. And I um, I really enjoy the Smart Less podcast. I don't know if you know of that. It's Jason Bateman and um, Will Arnett and Sean Hayes. And I love, I just love their conversations and their banter. Uh, and that is, that is the one that I listen to uh, the most by far. Yeah, that's uh, one of mine as well. Yeah, Joel even got me listening to it. So uh, I've listened to a few episodes. I agree. It's uh, a bit of fun. Yeah. Um, So tell us about your professional career then, please. Yes. So uh, as you mentioned, I started as a lawyer. So I practiced law for seven years and then burned out during what became the last year of my law practice and uh, decided that I wanted to go back and study workplace well-being, essentially. I wanted to uh, figure out how I could help other busy professionals uh, really not end up in the in the situation or the 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 you know the state that I had ended up in um, at the end of my law practice. And so it took me a while to discover and find the University of Pennsylvania's applied positive psychology program, but that is um, where I went to do my studies and then stayed on to do my postgraduate work there. Uh, Penn had just started uh, its Train the Trainer program uh, with the United States Army. So teaching their Train the Trainer resilience program, essentially, to very senior uh, enlisted and uh, officers in in the U.S. Army and eventually to um, family members as well. Um, And then when we trained enough, we trained uh, collectively about 40,000 soldiers in about five years or so, and the Army took over the program. And I dove back into my business and uh, really just been doing a lot of workshops, teaching, training, consulting, writing, all of that good stuff across industry, um, really in the the well-being space, but specifically um, oftentimes around uh, teams' experience of stress and burnout and uh, resilience generally, um, trying to, to kind of build it in, talking about it in a systemic way. Yeah, so um, what does a, a day in the life of the CEO of the Stress and Resilience Institute look like, Paula? <laughs> a day in the life. It, it depends on the day. There are days. There are days when my seven-year-old. So you mentioned uh, you mentioned your child. I have, a, I have a seven, almost seven and a half-year-old daughter, Lucy. And so, uh, if if I have to do a little bit of catching up on the weekends, she's she's usually at her desk on the other side of my office helping me out. And so she's she's an ever-present force at the Stress and Resilience Institute. Um, but it really just depends. Um, like today, I, I have a large article due on Friday, and so I spent most of the morning. My desk is covered in covered in papers, and uh, you know, trying to you know type out my trying to type out my uh, my article. Uh, it can be um, usually a lot of travel, especially now we're coming into you know a lot of conferences and a lot of uh, organizations and law firms and folks who I work with are you know, doing, doing their thing this fall. And so a um, lot of, lot of travel time and it's, it's been, it's been nice to have a little bit of slower pace over the summer. So, so I don't burn out, <laughs> mm. um, helping, helping other folks, but so there. Yeah. So um, what sort of industries uh, do you work across? Is it exclusively law um, or do you work in other industries as well? Not exclusively law. So I do a lot. 
though, in the legal profession, both for law firms, um, for corporate legal departments. Uh, I did a program for the uh, Department of Defense Office of the General Counsel last week. And so some government, um, a little bit of military um, sprinkled in, but but really um, across industry. So I've done some work in education. I've done some work in healthcare. I've done work with tech companies. Uh, I've done work with companies who do environmental related work. I mean, really, it's just um, you name it. <laughs> We've been there. Yeah, well, I think you've definitely hit on some of the big industries that we know burnout is a, uh, a real big problem, healthcare, education, um, law. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> your work's much needed, obviously. For sure. <laughs> uh, so what uh, brought you to our attention was an article you wrote for Forbes, which was titled, Are You Burnt Out or Just Exhausted? Uh, so what led you to write that particular article? Uh, a lot. Uh, so I, one of the things that's really uh, something that I've been struck by, and you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts about this too over the last few years, is um, you know certainly the 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 pace of work, the overwhelm, the overload, the languishing, the disengagement, the disconnect, the burnout, and all of that. And I feel like a lot of these terms that people feel all get lumped into the word burnout. Like we're not being as nuanced as we probably could and should be about the emotional states that and the mental states that we've been feeling, um, especially as, you know, the pandemic has has sort of, I don't even know what you call it, waned a little bit, <laughs> changed a little bit. I mean, I think it's still going to be an ever-present force. But uh, I, I have heard just from so many groups the experience when we when I really dig in and start to talk to folks about what they're feeling, it's not necessarily burnout, but they're calling it burnout. And so I wanted to just offer a, like an experience and have, you know, open the door to a conversation uh, to help people really start to specifically understand what is it that you are actually experiencing, because it may or may not be burnout. You may just be exhausted, but you're calling it burnout. So so I don't I don't know if you've noticed that as well. But the over categorization, I would say, of everything being burnout is something that I wanted to bring to people's attention. Yeah, I think um that's certainly something that we've observed and probably more broadly there just seems to be a, a trend towards using clinical language to describe just the normal range of, of human experience. Um, yeah, I think more broadly um, and that, yeah, has carried over into use of the term burnout to describe, um, yeah, probably a wider breadth of, of symptoms than um, would be accurate if we were looking at something like the um, Maslach burnout inventory, for example. Right, right. It's like I have a bad day at work. Or I'm just like really exhausted, and I come home, and and we we use the term so loosely. We just say like, "Oh man, I'm so burned out. I've had such a bad day," and we start to lose the specificity and the nuance around what really is burnout and how it's distinguished from other things. Mm. Mm. Uh, now, a little Easter egg, Joel, for regular listeners of the podcast. Uh, we are in early stages of planning a conference uh, for next year, our first two day uh, live event. And uh, Christina Maslach has said that she will do a live podcast recording with us at the the event. Mm. So, um, so she is obviously the person behind the Maslach burnout inventory and one of the key researchers uh, around you know creating this definition um, of, of what it is. So, I guess um, Paula, um, obviously Joelle and I understand, but for our listeners, mm-hmm. you know, if burnout isn't just feeling exhausted, you know, what is the criteria then for for burnout? 
Sure. And and I think one of the things that's confusing for folks is that exhaustion is part of the, it is a piece of the puzzle. And so feeling, feeling exhausted, but not just tired every now and again, it's chronically, I, I describe it as chronically, physically, and emotionally exhausted. And so I know when I went through what burnout looked like, I mean, I didn't really know what it was at the time, which is weird to say now, but this was, you know, back in 2009. This is like nothing that I did day in and day out really helped me feel like a sense of replenishment, like I had energy and I was like, woo, it's Monday morning. I'm so excited to go to work. Um, there was none of that and it was constant. And I was, you know, staring at the clock, you know, on the weekends, especially if I didn't have to work. And it was those Sunday scaries, like the countdown where I'd start at like three in the afternoon and I'd be like, oh man, I got to go to bed in like seven more hours. And like, can I freeze time? And um, nothing that I did could really just like get me the energy that I felt like I needed or felt like I had had at other points in time in my career to, to do what I needed to do and think in the way that I needed to think. And so that's a big piece of the puzzle, that chronic physical and emotional exhaustion. But as I always tell people, that word chronic is really important, right? So it's more often than not consistently over time, that's just how you feel. So that is, that is a first piece. But then there's also a sense of chronic cynicism or frustration. So you might be annoyed by colleagues, annoyed by clients, frustrated by people, frustrated by their questions, um, you know, where people could, you know, hop down to your office or give you a call or hop on a Zoom and you could chat through issues and whatever it is that your work is tasked to do. Um, you felt like you, you know, would do that and you felt engaged and not necessarily always happy, <laughs> but you 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 weren't that that cynical, frustrated man, like it's you know, people just like, leave me alone. Don't ask me questions. You're not going to listen to my advice anyway. So why are we even doing this kind of mentality? So that's a big piece of it. And then the third piece is um, a sense of inefficacy is what the research calls it. So it's, I think of it, I describe it as the why bother, who cares? Like, it doesn't matter anyway, what I do is like, this is just how work is, or this is how people are, and this is how it's always going to be. And you start to disengage from what you have felt called to do or the work that you feel tasked to do. And so people oftentimes don't realize that that frustration piece and then that why bother who cares piece are also pieces of the burnout puzzle. And so once we expand that definition and look at all three of those dimensions, then you can really have an accurate assessment about whether it is that's what you're experiencing. Yeah. Uh, so it's really key that right that we're not just going oh i'm exhausted um and therefore that's burnout um and definitely it wouldn't meet the icd uh, 11 now uh classification of burnout which takes into account those three symptoms that you're talking about but like you say yeah. it's that, that increased cynicism and reduced professional efficacy as well that we really need to consider i guess in going well you know those are all the signs and obviously those three together can be quite debilitating and obviously um performance impairing um compared to just feeling exhausted from time to time. Yeah. And what's really interesting, uh, you know, this is this is this is what also kind of factored into my article is that just starting to examine some of the nuances that I see, because you have those three dimensions. And so, you know, as the Maslach burnout inventory would would show, you could be any number of combinations. So you could have high exhaustion, high cynicism and high levels of inefficacy or low levels of professional efficacy as the as the inventory would say 
Um, and you, that's the standard definition of burnout. But you could also be um, what I've noticed with a lot of my coaching clients. And I've just noticed, you know, just anecdotally, a lot of people sharing with me. And there's a little bit of research about the the increase in this category, which is I'm I have a high level of exhaustion, a high le- level of that cynicism or frustration, but I have a high level of professional efficacy still. Like I haven't, I haven't gotten to that why bother who cares stage. I still feel like I'm contributing and that I'm making a difference and that my work is meaningful and it's impactful. It's just not working for me at the place that I'm at right now. And so that's the that's another piece that I have found interesting as I've continued to learn about this is you can have a lot of different types of combinations. And that's one of the things that um, Christina Maslach and Michael Leiter, her co-author of their most recent book, The Burnout Challenge, go into more of those dimensions and combinations, which I find fascinating. Yeah, I um, I was reading that book too. And uh, yeah, uh, Michael uh, pointed out, um, I'm not sure if it was in the book or in a LinkedIn post that I saw him do. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you, you can have the like two of the symptoms together, but unless it's uh, high levels of all three, um, you, that's that that's not burnout, right? Right, um, right. Yeah. Um, so what does that mean though then in terms of population estimates of burnout? Because I've seen some people, you know, uh, do these wild estimates of over 60% of the working population is burnt out, which seems extraordinarily high. Um, <laughs> and then people like Michael and Christina, I've seen them say 15 to 20%. So what, what is um, the actual, um, I guess, level of burnout within the working population? Yeah, I mean, and I think it depends on industry. And I think you could even go so far as to take one industry, for example, healthcare, and even break it down by specialty area of physician, for example, or you can look at nurses. I mean, you can look at, at different groups of professionals, even within a profession, Uh, And so it depends. I mean, when you see, when you read a study where you see the Maslach burnout inventory or another type of empirically validated inventory being used, um, healthcare is, tends to lead the way in terms of like rates. Um, And and it's, you know, obviously higher since the pandemic, but even pre-pandemic, you know, the rates were like 50 to 55% of physicians, particularly um, showing signs or, or meeting the criteria of burnout. Uh, I know because I mean, I was I when I read articles, I, I read a lot of articles during the pandemic, especially like in the legal profession where you'd see rates like I think one said like 82 percent and then you were seeing 70, like 70 plus percent. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, we're struggling, but we're not all like I mean, that's three quarters to to most people feeling feeling that. And so I will also say, though. The 15 to 20 percent number, I think, also feels a little bit low to me. So when I've used the Maslach burnout inventory with some of the teams and some of the industries that I've worked with, I tend to find like a range of like 25 to 38 ish percent, you know, and again, totally depending on the team, totally depending on the industry, totally depending on the type of professional that we're talking about. Um, so I feel comfortable really kind of within that range, knowing that healthcare is probably a little bit on the higher side because it, it always has been and certainly obviously exacerbated by the pandemic. Um, so but I, I feel comfortable saying like that's typically where you where you would see true numbers being reported. Hi, listeners. Jason here. We hope you're enjoying this latest podcast episode. Now, if you're like Joelle, Alicia, and myself and enjoy learning from the best, then the Flourish DX Academy is for you. 
The Academy includes free e-learning courses on the ISO 45003 standard for psychological health and safety at work and associated topics such as how to conduct a psychosocial risk assessment and how to create the business case for psych health and safety. All courses feature high-quality videos, downloadable resources, multi-choice questions, and a downloadable training certificate on completion. Take your learning to the next level with all FlourishDX Academy courses included within the FlourishDX mobile app. Select podcast episodes from the Psych Health and Safety Podcast and sister podcasts from Canada and the USA are also included. Get started with FlourishDX for free at www.flourishdx.com forward slash get hyphen started. That's www.flourishdx.com forward slash get hyphen started. Now back to this episode. Most of the time on this podcast, we really talk about um, the the psychological health and safety approach, which is about looking at, um, you know, the systems and and structures of work, the Mm -hmm. way that work is designed and and carried out and making adjustments to the design of work to reduce um, demands on people and actually take a truly preventative approach um, in in making work a place that's um, mentally safe and protective for them. Um, Not everybody's in a position to be able to influence the systems of work though and so for those people who are in a position where they're feeling like they are um, at risk of burnout, you know, as a consequence of their working environment but they're not empowered to actually be able to do anything to change their working environment um, what are some steps that they can take to protect themselves a little bit? This is such a great question because I've come I've come to realize that so many people in the workplace think of burnout as simply, you know, just this individual, you know, issue, individual caused. And I think of it now as the individual manifestation of a workplace systems or culture issue. So I think you're spot on. And I've in I in every program that I teach, I'll talk about what are the kind of the more systemic, you know, core drivers of, of stress and burnout. And I think it's important for individuals to hear, even if because one of the questions I always ask is, you know, first of all, which factors do you feel drive stress for your team in your environment and for you? But then the next question is always what's within your control to address or fix. And even if you have, you know, a higher level leader title, even even at those levels, you're not always able to to fix a big systemic issue that's, um, you know, that's really probably at the at the core of this. So I think it's important for folks to realize that that's an important conversation to have, that we do have to continue that that systems level conversation. Um, But that when we look at what's within your control to do something about it. I think that's also a really important and fruitful avenue to talk about. And where I think we go wrong in this conversation is, again, thinking about burnout as just plain old everyday stress. And so we we tell people to do maybe frontline, firstline, downstream types of strategies um, that aren't, again, necessarily the right way to look at truly maybe preventing what we know burnout is and what causes it. And so that's why in the article um, that you came across, I wanted to share some of the kind of the more nuanced, deeper level strategies that folks can think about. Um, And one of the ones for sure for me, and I, I don't, you know, I don't know if you hear this or if you've come across this, but it's really understanding and knowing your narratives so in the language that I was trained in at UPenn, we would call these your icebergs, your core values and beliefs about the way you think the world should operate. And so for me, uh, when I was in my burnout recovery, this, this is really the, the 
moment when I felt like I started to get better, when I had the hard conversations with myself around like, yeah, you're a people pleaser. You say yes to pretty much everything, especially in the world of work. And I had a hand in engineering my own unmanageable workload. So it wasn't just all of the work that, you know, legal teams were giving me and my clients. It was also me not putting any boundaries around that. Um, I'm very much a recovering perfectionist. I'm very much what I call an achievaholic. I'm very ambitious. I want to make my numbers. I want to exceed them. I want to get the highest bonus. It's like I'm very driven that way. And those aren't bad things, but I also have to realize that that they have limits and I have limits and I have to figure out what those limits are and be more cognizant of that. So anytime we can sit down and have that conversation with ourselves and really think deeply about what are we saying about what it means to be a good professional, what it means to be, you know, a leader and how those um, values and beliefs help us in a lot of ways, but how oftentimes they're so inflexible and, and rigid that they get in our way and undercut our ability to really, um, you know, think about how we manage our stress and what have you. And so I think um, that I think it's an important, a very important first step for people to think about and consider. Um, I know in my book, I've got like some self-coaching questions for people to, you know, get started with this because this is this is deep internal self-awareness reflection work that we don't oftentimes do, but uh, it's really an important, um, I think, first step to help people kind of figure out, like, what am I bringing to the table here that's truly impacting how I work? And then what would be the next step after that? Um, you know, I don't know that there's a, you know, like you have to go in order necessarily, but one of the things that I like to have people do is, you know, another way to think about burnout, you know, certainly around those three dimensions that we talked about, but also thinking about um, what are your job demands and what are your job resources? So in the burnout literature, job demands are things that take consistent effort and energy about your work. Um, and when you don't, you know, have those boundaries and things in place, those can puts you on, on a path that might lead to burnout. And so what are the things that take consistent effort and energy about your work? And then what are your resources? And so again, defined in the research as what are the energy giving and motivational aspects of your work? Because we oftentimes don't think about that. We don't think about, you know, the meaning that our work has or the relationships that we have or, um, you know, some of those energy giving pieces are strengths. Am I using my strengths um, effectively at work? And so helping people just see what those lists look like and understand, you know, what are some other resources you could potentially uh, be galvanizing? Could you be using your strengths more? Helping people just see sort of some pathways to build some of that energy giving motivational piece of their work, I think is really important as well. Um, and then I think to this is, and I think this is really hard, but I think it's important uh, because, I mean, this is a theme that I hear consistently from so many people is that everything seems urgent today in the world of work. Like how do I, how, when everything is urgent, nothing is urgent and I have no idea what to what to even prioritize. And in the article, I wrote that I had a, um, I practiced commercial real estate law and I had a developer client of mine who was always, you know, busy with something and I need it yesterday. And he would, he would prioritize his work for me 
with a triage system that he would call nuclear, supernuclear, and catastrophic. So he'd send me a document and he's like, this is in the supernuclear category. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Like it's, <laughs> this all just sounds really urgent. And so when you don't, when you lose that sense of like, what do I truly have to do first? And sometimes you may need to, you know, ask a team member or your boss for some cover or some assistance with trying to map that out. Um, we've got to figure out how to, kind of parse out what do I really need to drop everything and do immediately and what can wait and be done at a different time? Yeah. Um, role clarity is so important, right? And it's not just about understanding what your responsibilities are, but what is the priority of the day or the week? Uh, I do like using your own kind of in-house language, as long as everyone <laughs> understands what you're talking about, right? Um, <laughs> Which is a big a, key. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> We have a Trello board that we operate with our developers and, uh, you know, that's how we prioritise stuff and we have, yeah, uh, different terms for levels of importance. <laughs> that wouldn't make sense to anyone else, yeah. Probably not, no. Uh, but no. We, know, we know what Just uh, internal shorthand, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which that's, is good. Yeah, nuclear and super, super nuclear. <laughs> and, <laughs> catastrophic. And, nuclear. and catastrophic. And <laughs> yeah. catastrophic. Well. <laughs> they kind what, of all seem catastrophic? like, yeah. Is it is it worse than super nuclear? Yeah. Yeah. They feel and like they're sort of on par. Yeah, in his mind it was. That mm. <laughs> didn't translate into mm. anything I knew what to do with. So, <laughs> Yeah. So it, it sounds like um, sort of understanding your own drivers and recognising where you need to um, take – maybe take control of your thought processes or, or recognise where some of your, your thought processes are being unhelpful um, and, and challenging some of those or recognising that they exist and, and coming up with, with strategies to manage those um, in terms of what's actually happening inside your own brain um, and then also looking at what's happening in your working environment and yeah. looking for opportunities to do more of the stuff that energises you um, to to counteract the stuff that's that's potentially draining, um, and then seeking clarity on what are the things that I actually need to be spending my time on while I'm at work. Um, yes. If I'm summarising yeah. beautifully and brilliantly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No that 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 sounds wonderful, and I think um, you know I always talk about the need for taking a me and a we approach to burnout prevention. Because I think that oftentimes individual contributors say it's all the workplace system. It's all the workplace problem. It's all my leader. And they forget that that there is quite a bit that you can do on your own that is within your control and influence that you can potentially shore up. And at the same time, you know, oftentimes you'll hear leaders say, well, you know, you just have to get them some better stress management and then they'll be able to deal with all of this. I don't know what you want me to do about their, you know, that particular issue. And then they forget that there's that whole system, you know, conversation that needs to happen as well. So we just leave people with that phrase, take a me and a we approach to burnout prevention. Yep. That's a good, a good, uh, nice, easy phrase mm -hmm. to keep in mind. Something yeah. to remember. Uh, and it's something we talk about, right? It's, <laughs> it's a shared responsibility. So, um, yeah. you know, uh, the, the workplace could have the, the best designed work, the best systems, the best processes, uh, the most positive relationships uh, with, with colleagues possible. But if the person is, say, a perfectionist 
um, who keeps taking on more work than what they can possibly do um, and spends too much time on things, then they can burn themselves out. Um, yes. So it's, 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 it really is a shared responsibility between the, the workplace and the individual. Absolutely, 100%. Mm. Hey, um, Paula, it's been a really interesting discussion. Um, one of the questions that we like to ask all of our guests at this stage of the podcast, however, is looking into the future. What are your hopes for the, the future of workplace mental health? What a great question. Uh, so first of all, I hope the conversation continues because as you, you know, we start to see different things happen in the world of work, for example, right now, everything is about generative AI and technology and how that's going to reshape and change how people do work and job roles and job titles and all of that. Sometimes I feel or I worry that the conversation about mental health and well-being can get lost in the shuffle a little bit, that it's sort of like, well, we did that and we talked about that. And, you know, that's a really cool thing. And yes, it's important. Um, but we're now focused over here on, you know, whatever, you know, kind of new thing is here or the new crisis or whatever it is that we have to deal with. And so, um, you know, making sure that the conversation and the importance of that in the business case and all these things that we all work on continues to be had, I think is really important. Uh, and then for me, I mean, I just see and would love to see continued the importance of of really adding this to leadership training and having leaders really be able to um, become conversant in a lot of you know the skills that we all talk about and understanding their importance, whether you call them soft skills or human skills or what whatever label you give them. Um, you know, having that, I feel like, be the next frontier of leadership education, I think, would be something that I would love to continue to see happen and to really, like, advance, you know, into teams. And again, the organization as a whole really starting to see its place also within this conversation so that, you know, of course, we can continue what we're doing on the individual side, but, you know, gradually increase how we think about and build in different levels of mental health and well-being, um, you know, skills and help for for people and companies. Yeah, um, yeah I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, getting leaders involved in this uh, is just imperative if we're going to do this at scale. Um, yes. It's not something that individuals can just be taught, hey, you need to be more resilient or manage your stress better like we've been talking about. You need still obviously changes to the design of work to to support people, um, and it can't just be something that HR or health and wellbeing or um, you know health and safety in an organisation do um, to the organisation. It's really the leaders who are the closest to the individual contributors and and their experience of work and have the the greatest amount of capacity to change their work if they know what to look for. So we had a bit of a joke. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. So we had a bit of a joke earlier about are you okay day and, you know, just asking the question, are you okay and escalating, you know, to care pathways. Mm-hmm. That's all well and good. But I think what we need to be doing is rather than just educating leaders on that, which is, you know, it's a good skill to have. But, hey, what's within my control around how I can alter the experience of work for my people that is also going to be mental health promoting and not cause people to burn out? Um, and t- until we get to that point, you know, w- we're missing a trick right, massively. So. Um, uh, I couldn't agree more, like I said, like we need to get leaders involved. And the next yeah. uh, phase is like not these soft skills, but work design skills. Like what are the fundamental aspects of work that I need to know about, like role clarity and workload and 
um, you know, supervisor support and, you know, um, all these sorts of things so that the, the leader knows what they, the levers they can pull in order to have that mental health outcome for, for their people. Well, and I think it, it's so important because we don't teach, this isn't taught. Like when you go to business school or like, you know, it certainly wasn't taught in law school. It still isn't taught. In, in law schools, at least not in the United States. And so, um, you know, you come out, I think, becoming proficient at your technical job and your technical skills, and those continue to grow and develop. And if you're lucky, perhaps you might get a little bit of, you know, leadership development and training, and that's usually focused on other things. And, you know, I think this whole piece that you're talking about, about the role clarity, I wrote it down, the workload, the supervisor support, in addition to all of the things that we've been talking about here, um, really uh, are such an important additional capacity for leaders to have because you're so right. I mean, leaders are the folks who influence, you know, how we see and interact with our world of work on a day-to-day basis. And so the the influence that they have is extraordinary. So, Yeah, and we're, we're missing an opportunity if all we're asking leaders to do is to escalate people to care pathways rather than yes. going, well, what can the leader do to actually influence yes. their experience of work? So. Yes. Okay, so last question for you today, Paula. Do you have words of advice for our listeners who are interested in working in the field of psychological health and safety? Um, I would say, you know, whether you have formal training or not, just get started with conversations that you find um, interesting and that are important for you. There are so many different types of resources out there now that you can consume again, whether you have a formal title or formal education in this, in this, um, in these, you know, types of pathways. Uh, there's just there's just so many different ways now for you to take advantage of and learn more about um, mental health and well-being and psychosocial safety and psychological safety and all of these topics. And so I would just say pick something that is interesting for you. And really just start to start to learn more about it, because I think that the more people who can keep this conversation going and advance it and escalate it and be interested in it, um, I think it just, uh, you know, will do wonders for the continuity of the conversation, much like we were we were just talking about. Excellent advice. Thank you, Paula. You're so welcome. Thank you for staying up late tonight and uh, and doing this podcast with us. We really appreciate it. Uh, where can people find out more about your work? Sure. So my website is really the hub of everything that I do. So it's got information about my trainings, my books, my on-demand content and all of that. And that is stressandresilience.com. Cool. We'll put a link in the show notes for sure. Um, but thank you, Paula, so much for, for joining us today. You're so welcome. This was a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. Well, uh, listen, that brings us to the end of this episode. So do remember that we record these over video when we have these conversations with our guests and those videos can be found on the Flourish DX YouTube channel. Uh, we also take snippets and put them on the Flourish DX LinkedIn page. Um, so go there and you'll see a treasure trove of uh, great pieces of conversation from hundreds of guests now uh, all across the world. And um, when you're over on LinkedIn, feel free to continue the conversation with Joelle or myself. Uh, And that's how I found Paula as well. So uh, Mm -hmm. reach out to Paula too if you want to continue the conversation with her. Um, But that's it for today, listeners. We'll catch you next episode. 
You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. To stay up to date with the latest on psychological injury prevention, follow Flourish DX on LinkedIn and subscribe to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast at www.psychhealthandsafety.com. 